can I just use my pastoral privilege to ask everyone to come from their seats to fill in these altars? I'm going to be preaching on the end times today. I just want everyone to come from your seats, fill in these altars, make room, fill along the side right there because we can go in that area as well. Because today's message, yeah, fill those in. Today's message is going to be on the end times. It's going to be scary a little bit for a lot of you. Uh, because you're like, man, I'm not right with God. I don't know if I'm ready. Come on, fill in this area right here. But this is what I want us to remember, is that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so we're going to practice what I want you guys to do coming in on offering on next one. Give me double time right now. Come on. Come on. There we go. There we go. Come on. And sing it out. I'm never empty. I'm never dry. Because that's how we're coming to glory. I'm not going to heaven dry. I'm not going to heaven backslidden, afraid of the devil. Come on. Never empty, I'm never dry. Let it flow through me. Come on. Yes. Yes. Come on, sing it out today. I'm never empty, I'm never dry. Come on, sing it out, believe it. Who's going to heaven full of Jesus? Come on, a few more times, everybody. I'm never empty. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Yes. Come on. Yes. Come on, sing it out again. I'm never empty. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. now and say, Lord, I'm never empty. I'm never dry. Come on, I'm not scared of what the world has to offer or what it does against me. Come on, tell Jesus I'm not scared. I'm going all in for you, Lord. Jesus, 110%. I will never be empty. I'll never be dry. If you believe it, can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Slap somebody high five and say you're never empty, never dry. Come on, you may wake your way back to your seats. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. How many are ready to learn about the end times? Somebody say, watch out. Watch out. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 1, glad to see you here, loving Jesus in the middle of January, I mean November. How many, how many know it feels a little bit like November right now? I mean uh, January, November. We're going to turn on these lights so you can see your Bible, but somebody say watch out. We're going to go right to the Word. We're going to get what it means to watch out towards the end. Some of you grew up watching movies about the end times and knowing that Jesus could come back at any moment, and you might have gotten a little bit older, and now you've forgotten about that. Or others of you, you might just be new to Christianity, and you might say, well, what's all this end times stuff? You know, I know the Bible talks about it, but I don't see a lot of people in the church living like it's the end times. Well, let me apologize for that. If you're new to Christianity and you don't see Christians living like it's the end times, we're sorry for that because we ought to be displaying an urgency because we're in the last days. 
Jesus, as you can see in my red letter edition of the Bible, thought the end times was important. Do you see some red letters there in Matthew chapter 24? I mean, look at it. I mean, this is what Jesus had to say about your time. This is what's going on right now. And I don't know if we're going to see Christ in our lifetime, but I want to be ready to. And I don't believe we're getting further away. I believe we're getting closer. And so the the thing that you don't want to do is to be lulled to sleep by the devil to think that this is just the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be. Life's just going to keep on keeping on. No, my friend. It's going to come to an end. The same one that in the beginning said God created the heavens and the earth. The same God that told us that on page one of our Bible, chapter one of verse one, is the same one that said, watch out, this is how it's going to end. There's going to be a lot of trouble upon the earth. There's going to be a lot of problems. There's going to be a lot of destruction. There's going to be a lot of evil to the point where the church will be deceived and that very few will be saved as it gets harder and harder to live for God. Are you guys ready? Somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, going verse by verse through the book of Matthew in 2019. Hopefully we'll wrap it up uh, by the end of this year. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. So there's a temple and then there's a lot of buildings around there. He said, do you see all these things, he asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. My friends, Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. For this reason, and primarily for this reason only, scholars tried to say that all of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, had to be written after 70 AD because Jesus could not have known that the temple would have been destroyed. So any reference to it is after the fact. So this has happened, and now the writers are going to make believe that Jesus said it prior to the fact. So they want to say, oh, the Gospels were written around 70, 80, 90 AD. Some of them would say 100 AD. That has now been found out to be a lie. Somebody say, that's a lie. We now know that our Gospel records can be traced back orally to the time of Jesus and solidified within the late 40s, early 50s. And the earliest gospel that starts to record Jesus' words of the temple and its destruction is around 60 A.D. That's even if you're not a Christian. Many, many scholars now have to tip their hat and say, well, Jesus said something that came true. Whether it came from God or it was a good guess because the Romans were starting to close in on the Jews, we can't say, but we know this came before the fact. Now, we as Christians know why it's before the fact, because Jesus knows what's going to happen. And so he tells them, you guys are impressed with these things. He had just got done rebuking the Jewish religion, showing them that religion won't save, but yet they still were impressed with the building, the temple, all of these things. And Jesus is saying, you think this is important? You think this is impressive? It's all coming down. And it eventually did. Look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, referring to the destruction of the temple, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
They asked three questions. Three questions. When will this happen? When will this happen of this temple being destroyed? What will be the sign, singular, not signs, plural? What will be the sign, singular, of your coming that when we see this sign, we know you're coming? And then what is the end of the age? What does it look like? Does everybody see the three questions? He answers them a bit out of order, and this is where people get confused. But all three of those questions will be answered. The first one that he is going to answer is he's going to answer the end of the age question. Then he's going to get into the temple question, and then he's going to end with the sign question. You may say to yourself, why would he do that? Well, that's what he did, so now I have to deal with it. Um, I know as a speaker, you can ask me questions, and I choose to answer them in whatever order I want to answer them in. I'm not talking about politic, uh, politicians dodging the question. I'm just talking about taking on a question the way you want to. So one more time, they ask him, when will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the end of the age? Jesus is going to start off by going right from their last part of the question. He's going to teach them what the end of the age is going to look like. He's then going to go to the middle section and ask, uh, tell them what it's going to look like when the temple is going to get destroyed. And then he's going to end with the sign of his coming. Are you all ready? Somebody say, I'm ready. So if you just want to outline those things, now you can. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. The reason why I know this has nothing to do with the temple is because Jesus was the last person people would have wanted imitated and pretended to be him in 70 AD because just those who claimed to follow him were being lit up as Roman candles on the road. A Roman candle is a legitimate thing. They would impale you on a stick put oil on you and set you on fire at night for people to see what they do to the dissenters of the Roman Empire. Christ followers, Christians, were being martyred by the tens of thousands and would be continued to be martyred into the 300s. So I know this has nothing to do with 70 AD type stuff. No one was walking around going, I'm Jesus. No, I'm Jesus. But when do you see that? Just about 100 years ago the popularity of imitating Jesus began to become a thing. And as I begin to teach you about the sign, and some of you should know what the sign is, when the sign happened, it dramatically increased. And now we live after the sign. We live after the sign, my friends, just to let you know. That sign question will be answered, and we live in that time. And so after that, time of the sign. It has increased as well as all of these other things, but false Christ today like never before are deceiving people. There's right now in the Philippines a man by the name of Apollo Quibloy that has six million followers, and he claims to be Jesus. He is the largest antichrist figure. We will be sending the book that I wrote against him with our disciples to the Philippines. I had tried to get the Filipino pastors to set up debates when I was going on the Philippine trip. It ended up not happening, but they didn't want to do it. Those spiritual oompa loompas thought they could ignore this man. That was about eight years ago. That man has grown by the hundreds of thousands. 
They have no idea how to handle this because just like in the time of the early Americas with Joseph Smith, people underestimated Mormonism, people underestimated Jehovah Witnesses, and so we will send the books that God told me to write against this man, and you can find it online, falsekingdom.com, false kingdom, because he believes he has started the Garden of Eden in the Philippines. It's free online. We'll give them the hard copies. I don't put it out there because I don't want to introduce you guys to him because you don't need to know about him because he's not in your world right now because more people would have to be like, what is he, who is he, and then you would learn about him that way. I just don't want you to think about that. But if you were in the Philippines, you need to start thinking about it. Does everybody understand? And in a sermon like this, I'll bring it up, but I just don't want to give him free advertisement here. Paulo Quibloy, there's a Jesus of Russia that has a commune. They believe he's a Russian Jesus. He looks like Jesus, they say, because he has the beard, the long flowing hair. There was the Jesus of Puerto Rico who lived in Miami and adopted the sign of the Antichrist, 666. His followers got tattoos numbered in the thousands. He's died, and his wife now carries on the cult. There is Mother God cult. She believes she was married to Jesus. Now she's here in South Korea, still on earth. She's about ready to die, so go figure how God the mother could even die. But they are a cult that has millions of followers as well, and I'm sure South Koreans didn't take them serious. They're the Worldwide Church of God Society, Worldwide Church of God Society, and they do Asian-themed plays in major cities like Chicago. So if you see right around the holiday times an Asian-themed play, not everyone is going to be this cult, research where that Asian-themed play has come from. That's how they introduce themselves to the culture. There are more false Christs right now, listen to me, with more followers. If we were to combine their estimated following, they're in the tens of millions right now than ever before. There's more people claiming to be Christ more people following than them ever before. And it's sad because so often these people are drawn into their cult from Christianity. Philippines is a big Christian nation, whether Catholic or Protestant, they're being drawn in. The people who followed the Jesus of Puerto Rico, they were drawn in. The Russian Orthodox people followed this man over here. And so what it teaches us as pastors and leaders is that if we don't encourage our people to study the scriptures, they can be deceived. And that goes for you even sitting here. If you're not careful, you can be deceived. And this is not even including some of the new age gurus who have adopted the title of Jesus with smaller followers. One time I was looking up, I am Jesus, I believe I'm Jesus, a claim like that, and I was surprised to find one on Fullerton in California, right by the Humble Park area, the Adida, A-D-A-D-I-D-A. This man believed he was God in the Hindu faith, but his real identity in the Hindu faith, he took on the name of Jesus, and he believed he was Jesus among us, and then they had their followers in this uh, kind of beautiful Chicago home, and they had their meditation center down below with a big picture of him, kind of fat and, and ugly, basically looking like Buddha, and a big picture. I'm not talking like a huge picture of him. So I couldn't even believe this, so I actually went and visited them and preached to them, and then I said to them, my Jesus is alive, you're supposed to Jesus, because by this time he had died. I said, is dead. What do you think about that? Oh, he's with us spiritually. And I'm like, well, you would say something like that. The devil's a liar. My Jesus didn't just rise spiritually. He rised physically from the dead. That's what his witnesses said. So get, the, get it right. So you're living in this time. Watch out. Somebody say, watch out. Watch out. 
Watch out that no one deceives you. It's happening. People are being deceived by the mother God cult. People are being deceived by uh, the Jesus of the Philippines. People are being deceived by this new age guru. People are being deceived. Don't let that happen to you. The first thing he begins to talk about as he describes the end of the age is don't be deceived. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Now, sometimes uh, people would say something like, well, you know, Jesus is just throwing darts out here hoping something hits a bullseye because, you know, there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, but there'll be an increase of them. There'll be a development of the warfare that can kill more at one time than ever before. And when we get to the sign, you'll see that those wars have increased since the sign has come. He says such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So this is just the beginning. So if you feel right now that the false Christ and the wars of rumors of wars is alerting you to something, that's actually good because we are going to be here for these portions of the end times and we should be ready for them and not surprised. They must happen. Now watch this right here. Verse 7 is happening in America. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now you might say to yourself, Pastor, how is the American kingdom fighting within itself? What we don't understand is that first word nation. That is the Greek word ethnos. Ethnic groups will fight against ethnic groups. So whether it's been the Civil War, whether it's been Hotel Rwanda, whether it's been Shaka Zulu in Africa enslaving his own people of a different tribe, though, of a different group, whether it's been the, the, the drug lords enslaving their own people because they're of an outside clan or something, the Bible says people will rise up against other people based on their ethnic groups and based on their kingdoms. Now, I know a lot of you want to be woke, but you better get woke to this. I have no problem with us continuing the discussion of how we can all love each other from different cultures and different kingdoms, different ethnic groups and different kingdoms. But listen to me. At some point, we have all just got to put it under the blood and say we are all sinners and we all need the grace of Jesus. I have no reason to overlook American sins. I have no reason to. So if you feel the border didn't, you didn't cross the border, the border crossed you, you have a Latin American ethno uh, uh, angst against the American angst, I have no problem with that. Just make sure you get that same angst towards the Aztecs that would burn you alive and sacrifice you to their gods at Montu Picchu. Just make sure you have just as much anger as an African towards the other Africans that enslaved you long before that white man ever came. Y'all get quiet when I preach like this. I have no problem you being upset as a Native American towards the Americans and what they did to you because you got your butt whooped in a war. I understand that it hurts to get your butt whooped, but also be mad at the Cherokees who took over your land. Get mad at the Apaches who skinned your heads because they were fighting nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom long before there was ever a place called America. Chinese dynasties were fighting against each other. Just talk to a Japanese person and ask them how much they love China in their history. Come on, people, get woke. The whole entire human history has been a story of nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and it's not getting better. It's only getting worse. 
And so, yeah, if you want to make this an issue today, I'm with you. Let, let, let's get upset with it. But let's also, let's also get upset with everybody that looks like us too. Let's not just get upset with people who don't look like us. Let's get upset with the ones who do look like us. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't like how America has treated Latin America because Latin America has been this and that because of the white man. Okay, well, what was Latin America like before the white man? Let's talk about that. That's all I want. I just want to talk about that because I know my European people can't save me. I have my Greek family right here. The Greeks enslaved me. The Italians, the, Ita the Italians, the Romans enslaved them and took each other over. So just because you look like me doesn't mean you were of the same kingdom of me. Just because you were white. Hello, somebody. The Vikings plummeted, uh, pillaged, and took over other people that looked like them. That's how they got rich and powerful. So my thing is this. We can all just humble ourselves and try to work for change, which I don't mind working for. I'm not saying it's all bad, so just leave it alone. I'm saying let's work for change. Uh, let's, let's depose every Latin American president and all the corruption and get them out so Amer uh, Latin America can be just like America. You want to do that? Amen. Let's, do, let's make Mexico great again because how many of y'all want to go back there? It gets quiet when the white man preaches like this. But why does Mexico suck? Why does it suck as a government? Socialism, my Greek family right here. Do y'all want to move back to Greece? Y'all want to move back? No, is, is Greece like this government-wise or is Greece like this? Like, go ahead. See, they ain't going back to Greece. I ain't going back to Italy. Y'all get upset when we talk like this. You in America for a reason. You came here for a reason. So let's stop fighting against each other with what there's no point to fight over. If you want to fight for true injustice, let's fight against injustice. But let's make Greece great again if we're going to talk about it. Let's make Italy great again. Let's make, let's make, uh, let's make Venezuela great again. And so here's my thing. In the church, we ought to be over this. We ought to be over this. We ought to all be able to say, my nation has sinned. My ethnos has sinned. So Jesus saved my nation and Jesus saved my ethnos. If you can't say that and mean it, then you've still got ethnocentric pride. And there's no ethnocentric pride with me. Like I told you, man, it, it, I know America's going to get destroyed in the end times. There is, no, there is no two Jerusalems that are going to be built up in the end times. There's only one Jerusalem, and that's in Israel, so it ain't here. So whatever happens towards the end, America goes towards the wrong side with the Antichrist. We'll be talking about that in just a moment, boys and girls. So let me just tell you, I know America's going to get his or hers, however you want to call it, by a gender. America's getting ours. But guess what? So is Mexico. So is China. So is Thailand. So is Vietnam. So is Italy. They're all going down, friends. The only one that's going to survive is going to be Israel and Jerusalem, and you better get in with that. That's why my Messiah is a Jewish Messiah, and I came in with him. Amen? So let's just keep it real. I just got to always talk about that because, and I'll just be honest with you, and of course it can be because I'm white, male, Christian, and privileged, but even working in the inner city and growing up, I never heard about so much racism as I have now. It's almost like people forgot we fought a civil war. 300,000 white people died at that time so that African slaves could be free. Why Shaka Khan, Shaka Zulu, whatever, was enslaving South Africa and his own people. And we just had Hotel Rwanda friends in the 80s. I talked to a guy who knew people from Hotel Rwanda. He said, that was my uncle. He was a Christian. You think he wants to live in Rwanda? He's in America for a reason. Oh, man, I could, I could preach on this all day because I think it just breaks down our idols. 
It's like, oh, Italy's so amazing. No, it wasn't. My family left Italy because they saw fascism coming. And by the time they left for World War I, my Italian grandpa went to go fight World War II, Mussolini in Italy. He was going to kill his own people if he had to, just like they did in the Civil War. We've got to get over this idea that you with me because you're my nation or you're with me because you're my kingdom. No, my nation is of Jesus Christ. My nation is of the people of God. My ethnos is I am a Christ follower and my kingdom, hallelujah, is not of this world. It's of the kingdom of God. But since I live right here, I'm going to try to make this the blessed place possible. And if you all want to talk about being woke, I'll stop a sermon and talk about being woke. So this is what I think biblically woke means, is all cultures deserve to go to hell without Christ. Next thing, there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, some people might say, once again, that's just a guess. Oh, there's always going to be famines. There's always going to be earthquakes. Now, the same people that say this are the ones who want to put down Jesus and say he didn't know the earth was round. He didn't know what outer space was about. These were just poor Middle Eastern peasants telling each other these hopes, uh, you know, these stories of hope and all of that. Well, let me ask you a question. Then. If that's how you want to paint him, then why is it just a guess to say there would be famines? Wouldn't it make sense in his limited mind that at some point we can feed everybody? Haven't you ever thought about that? Why aren't we feeding everybody? There is not a food shortage. Have you ever seen how much land there is? People always talk about we're overpopulated, we're overpopulated. You know, all these liberals want to do this. Well, if you want to end overpopulation, start with you. Leave the planet, please. You're more than welcome to leave our planet at any time. Just don't take anybody unwilling with you. But anybody willing to go with you, you guys can shoot yourselves out in outer space. But what we're not going to do is kill babies and wombs to solve your Oompa Loompa problem. Number one, we are not in an overpopulated area. We are not overpopulated. All of the entire population of the planet could fit into the state of Texas. We all have enough food. We all have enough space. The problem is we don't know how to use it and how to appreciate it. And the reason why, and I have the link of a, as we get to the actual, I, I, I note out all of these things at the bottom. Just give them a little tease. Show them it's going to be there for them just in case I bore you and you want to start clicking links. But go back up now to where I was at. We have enough food just in America to feed the entire world. The reason why nations are starving today is because of dictators, is because of corruption, is because of people not using the resources that we have. People talking about we're going to run out of fresh water. We will never run out of fresh water. We don't leak fresh water into the atmosphere. We are in a closed system. Do you understand? You drink the water, you, you do something else, and it comes out of you. And then it goes right back into you. We don't have a problem with water. The whole planet's filled with it. We know how to take salt out of water. This is ridiculous. If you look at what they did in Israel, which we'll be talking about in just a moment, but Israel was a place of desert and all of that when it was under the rules of different nations. But after something special happened, as we'll talk about in a little bit, they began to irrigate the desert land again, and it began to bloom. And they can show you the difference between Israel in its barren time to Israel now being a place of agriculture. We could do that all over the world let alone harvest what we already have and use it. And how many know you, if you cut back on what you're eating, you could feed about three or four hungry children? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's just keep it real. 
So the fact that there's famine shows us that something is not right. Why isn't it fixed yet? The Bible says it's a sign. Also earthquakes. And the earthquakes in various places, I believe, are these kind of tsunamis or these kind of fault lines that are destroying tens of thousands of people's lives because we have built around these things and we're going to suffer more as we continue to build around them. So earthquakes, though, they may not change too much in their frequency, though we, we've seen them go up and down over times. And maybe at the end, it literally is a, a lot of shaking going on. The point is these earthquakes in various places will be killing more people than they ever have before. And we're seeing that now, haven't we? Because now we build all of these homes like in Indonesia next to the beach. And so when the earthquake happens in a various place, it wipes out tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people or in Haiti, and so forth. And I'm not saying it's their fault. Some people are just building where they can only afford to build. But the point is, these will be signs to us that earthquakes and famines will take out large portions of our population, and we see it even right now, upwards of a billion people starving and tens of thousands of people dying whenever these earthquakes happen in various places. Look at verse 8. All these are the beginning of birth pains. How many women here have had a child before and know what that talk, what's that talking about? <laughs> How many know the beginning is not the part that hurts the most? It's towards the end where it hurts the most. Jesus says it's, it's going to get worse. Verse 9, then you will be hated, uh, then you will be handed rather over to be persecuted and put to death. Now watch this. You will be hated by all nations because of me. How in the world could Jesus be so accurate into this? Why didn't Christianity die out like Zoroastrianism? Is Zoroastrianism known all over the world? Is Mithraism known all over the world? The, the, the religion of Mithra, these were some of the cults of that time that new people were starting. Are those religions known even all over the world? Do they even have the potential of being hated by the world? No, Christ foresaw that the world will be penetrated by the gospel, but the world will start turning against the gospel at some point, and all nations will start to hate the gospel and make it illegal. So where we see now touches of freedom as it comes closer to Christ's return, in which we believe is the rise of the Antichrist. I'll get into more timeline things in just a moment. But nations as a whole, all of them, will sign some kind of a declaration, Christianity is illegal. So it won't just be illegal in China. It won't just be illegal in Yemen or illegal in Saudi Arabia. It will be illegal upon the earth. Now look at verse 10. At that time, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. During the time of Nazism in Germany, they taught the children to betray their own parents. We've already read that earlier in the book of Matthew, that children will turn against their parents, parents against their children. People will see it as a job, as doing a good thing to hand in their Christian neighbor to the government. And how far are we from that worldview? Just a couple weeks ago, someone from Logan Square urinated in front of us. Because we were preaching. Did not want to have a conversation, just urinated. They're getting to the point in their worldview where they don't even think we're worth the conversation. 
The woman that urinated in front of us, what would she have done if she lived in a country where it would be legal to shoot me? The same anger that brought her to urination in front of me would easily pull the trigger right in front of me. Look up persecution in India and places like Orissa where it's okay to beat Christians. And look at how mobs rule and beat the Christians without any remorse. They honestly think they're doing their village, their country a favor by ridding the Christians of their land. But the Bible says many will turn away from the faith. Why is that? Because at that time you can't be a Christian just because your, your culture wants you to do it. See, some of you grew up like me, where going to church made your parents proud. But what if going to church shames your parents? What if going to church actually costs you something? It's not, wow, I go to church, I made my parents happy. It's, no, don't tell my parents I've went to church, otherwise they'll kill me. We have missionaries, Dick Brogdon, Live Dead Mission Movement. You can find it on Facebook. Testifies about how often when the Muslims become Christian, they have to live secret Christian lives until they can run away from home. Otherwise, their own family will kill them, and it happens often, often. You'll be hated by all. Many will turn from the faith, betray each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many. So you see, at this time, now it's just not, I'm a Jesus figure. It's, I'm a religious figure. You don't need Jesus. What is Oprah to us today? A false religious figure. She has her thing on Sunday. She talks religious talk. She prophesies her message to the world. And now many people say, I have changed the way I believe about God. I changed the way I believe about homosexuality because Oprah Winfrey has helped me. Think about all the change that comes through the prophets of our day as they begin to deceive the people based on their worldview. Look at verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Jesus was asked three questions. Jesus, when is this going to happen to the temple? What's going to be the sign of your return, and what is the end of the age going to look like? And here Jesus coming to the conclusion of the end of the age gives us one of the most uh, you know, fearful passages that many will fall in love with wickedness and let their love for God to grow cold. Now, should we be afraid? No, we should trust God that we'll love him more. But should we have a healthy fear that if we turn from God, we can be deceived? Absolutely. Many people that I know now today who love wickedness used to sit in a church just like you and said, I'll never, I'll never love wickedness more than God. My wife's first mentor divorced her husband and married a woman. Do you think when she sat in this church that she said, a church like this, not here exactly, but a church like this, that she said, I'm going to divorce my husband, forsake my family, and live the life of a lesbian? No, but because of the increase of wickedness, her love began to grow cold. 
One of my friends was a youth pastor, happily married, became addicted to alcohol, started doing petty crimes. Then he started doing greater crimes. He just got out of federal prison after robbing banks. Did he think he would go from a happily married youth pastor in the suburbs to robbing banks? No, but the increase of wickedness. The increase of wickedness. Do you think the adulteress starts off on their wedding day going, I'm going to cheat on my husband? Do you think the husband says, I'm going to cheat on my wife? Do you think the person starting their business says, I'm going to burn it down and try to get insurance money? Do you think the person today that is honestly working hard is saying, I'm going to lie, steal, cheat, and you know, do all things? No, most people don't start that way. But because of wickedness, because it's normalized, we can become numb and just like what's around us. The love of most will grow cold. But here's the encouragement. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. How much of the world? The whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So what is the last thing we're looking for to know this is where it's up? Is the gospel being preached? Right now, there are still unreached people groups around the world, and the only reason why God hasn't come and judged us as he said he would is because his love for those nations is for them to get the gospel. That's why we need to support missions. Now, would you scroll down, please, and just take a look. I have some of the stats and facts with all of these different things happening in your lifetime and only increasing, going up. Now let's go to where he answers about, scroll down please, let's go to where he answers about the temple, the destruction. Like I said, he answered it out of order, but let's keep going. Now before we read this, I want to give you a prophetic tool to use when understanding not only this prophecy, but other prophecies of the Bible. Everybody say dual fulfillment. Thank you. Oftentimes in the Bible, when God gives us a prophecy, there is something that he wants the people of that time to have and to get from that prophecy. It's not just he's speaking so far to the future that the people at that time have no understanding of it. It's not like what one of the atheists said. Well, if God is real, why didn't he give particle physics to Moses? And then we would discover it one day. Because 6,000 years of knowing something about particle physics would be meaningless to us. Just put like E equals MC squared in the Ten Commandments. And then one day somebody discovers what it means. You know, this kind of magic trick way of looking at God is not the way God is. God speaks to us as a person in relationship. And so if he's going to give us prophecy, he gives us the prophecy for something meaningful at the time. And yet there is something greater to come in the future. So for example... When people were receiving prophecies, Isaiah, about the child being born, about a kingdom being upon his shoulders and all those things, do you think they just said to themselves, we have no idea what this means and this is meaningless to us now. Someone thousands of years from now will explain this is Jesus to us. No, they would see that 
as a remnant or as a, as a, uh, a partial fulfillment in the children they would have that would bring hope and, and, and fulfillment and promise to their, to their generation. Or when God would speak about the end time, which we're still living in right now, at those times, like in Zechariah and Daniel, a lot of the things would be the same even in their time, wars, famines. And so there was lessons they were supposed to have in the middle of their wars, in the middle of their famines. Why am I saying this to you? Because now there's two ways to interpret this. Either you interpret this the way that I do as a dual fulfillment, that destruction of, that the destruction of Jerusalem will happen twice, once in their time, and it's somewhat localized to their world, and then a second time as they rebuild the third temple, and it's all inclusive to the world, all the whole world is affected by it, or you take it as only one destruction and that all of this other language of the world being involved is just simply metaphorical. Now, there are some Christians who take it that way. They're called preterists. They believe all of this was fulfilled. And when it talks about the sun going black and stars falling from the sky and all of those things, they go, that's just metaphorical of it being a bad day. I take it as dual fulfillment. Yes, there was a literal destruction to the temple of 70 AD. Jesus is going to talk about that. But he's going to add on to this a fulfillment that has yet to happen. It could not have happened in 70 AD, and I'll share with you why. It has to be another destruction of a temple that has not even been built yet. Let's look. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What is that? That is the Antichrist coming to the temple, making sacrifices in his own name, declaring himself to be God. Something like this did happen when the Romans came. But this is not the final Antichrist, the final uh, false sacrifices. Those things will happen in the last temple. We'll talk about that, but let's keep going. Let no one on the housetop go to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. It's basically saying if you see a ruler come into your temple calling himself God, making sacrifices, don't even go into the town. Just run. Okay? That's what they're saying. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Don't let them go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Everybody go, aw. Jesus cares about nursing mothers. There we go. He cares about you guys, pregnant women. So pregnant women are going to be like waddling, I guess, you know, going out. That's what he said. Be careful there. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or the Sabbath. So, Lord, when you judge us, don't let it be cold. Uh, verse 21. Now, watch this. How do I know this didn't all happen in 70 AD? Because some people will go, this all happened in 70 AD, and so did the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation describes the destruction of the temple. I don't have time to get into that view, but it's a Christian view, mostly held by Calvinists. And so they'll say, all of this has already been taken place. Revelation is fulfilled, and so is this portion. But how do I know Revelation and this portion has not been fulfilled? Look at verse 21. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. How many think on the world stage in 70 AD, the temple being destroyed was the most craziest thing the world had ever seen? 
Now, most people in the world didn't even know what was going on. China had no idea what was going on. All the people living in Central and South America had no idea. Uh, here, the Native American, nobody knew. It's just a little small population knew what was going on. It's almost like you watch one of those cartoons and the ants are fighting and, and it's just this huge battle going on and then it zooms out and then all you see is the grass and birds chirping. You know, it's literally that kind of thing. When this destruction happened in 70 AD, all of that above was true. You had to run. You had to get away. They did come destroying the people and the land. But was it the worst thing to ever happen on the planet? No, this is that dual fulfillment. Everybody say dual fulfillment. See, when it happens, it's going to be so much greater in the end. Just like when Jesus came, he comes of a virgin. No one ever came of a virgin. And he's not just a promised child like a good king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. There's an aspect of his fulfillment in Isaiah that no one else can fulfill, though we can have cool promised child that do nice things. Jesus is the promised one from a virgin, distinctly different. And this is distinctly different. Let's keep going. Verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. Once again, destroying a little town called Jerusalem with the Roman Empire in 70 AD. How did that day have to be cut short or no one would survive? No, literally what it's talking about is if God did not spare Jerusalem at that time, he would have nuked the entire world. And so by his mercy, he doesn't let them do that and bring judgment upon the entire world in the way that uh, is going to destroy everybody. He's just coming at the Battle of Armageddon to defend Israel and to make sure that the population of the earth still remains. A lot of people will die. Hundreds of millions will die in Armageddon, but it's not everybody dies. If he didn't cut this short, he would have been obligated to kill everyone. He said, but for the sake of the elect, the days will be shortened. Now at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here he is, the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe him. Once again in 70 AD, who would have been doing that? You're running, you're scared. You don't want to call yourself Jesus. But right now, towards the end, everybody's calling themselves Jesus. So when things start to go bad, people are going to say, look, I'm Jesus. I'm going to help you. Come to me. It says, for false messiahs, false prophets will appear, perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the elect. See, I've told you this ahead of time. There is no description in 70 AD that there were prophets deceiving people. But yet in Revelation, we hear about a resurrection of the Antichrist. We hear about signs and wonders from demons empowering people. That's the stuff that's going to happen when the last days are upon us. Let's keep going. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go. Here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe. And so anyone who says, I'm Jesus, they're already disqualified. You will not have to have Jesus introduce himself to you. And the way these cults always operate is they say, the spirit of Jesus. Everybody go, the spirit. The spirit, be spiritual. The spirit of Jesus is on me. No, you have a spirit, but it's not called Jesus. It's called Beelzebub. No, when Jesus comes, we don't need an introduction because the Bible says, for as the lightning comes from the east and is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You will see him like lightning in the sky. He will circle the globe, the Bible says. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. There we go. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's how you're going to know he's come. How are you going to know he's come? Because people's flesh will be being eaten by birds, and you'll be having a party with Jesus, who you saw flash like lightning. Literally, the battle of Armageddon leaves a body waste on the ground. Birds feast on them while you're feasting with Jesus. That's how the Armageddon ends. 
Like, just imagine 300 or any battlefield. You've stacked up the dead bodies, and now you're singing, hey, we're all victorious. You're cheering each other. And then there in the, bu- in the back, there's bzzz, little buzz- bugs and buzzards coming down and eating the flesh. But you guys are the victorious ones. That's your Jesus. You'll know when I have come because there's going to be carcasses and vultures there. Let's keep going because that's what you didn't come to hear that on Sunday, did you? You want nice Jesus. You don't want Judgment Day Jesus, do you? Come on, somebody say, Judgment Day Jesus. Judgment Day <laughs> Judgment Day <laughs> Amen. And I've always said this. I don't really celebrate Christmas because it's not in the Bible. I don't find much fun in it. I let my kids do a little bit with the grandparents. But if we're going to be making up holidays that aren't in the Bible, let's come up with Judgment Day. And we dress up like Jesus on Judgment Day. It's part Halloween. It's part, it's part Christmassy. Uh, there's bloody swords with, you know, ketchup on them. We're waving it around. You know, uh, you make bird pies where the birds eat little flesh-like looking pies. And, you know, Judgment Day. Judgment Day. You know, and we all just talk about Judgment Day. Because that's the, the real thing we're waiting for here. Now watch, he's, he, he's clear. He goes, immediately uh, after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And uh, Bruce Willis won't be able to stop these stars from coming. If anybody remembers those kind of movies, you're not stopping these stars from coming. They're coming down. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Everyone will know he's here. All the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Why are they mourning? Because they were wrong. They were wrong. We're rejoicing. We're, we're coming from heaven with him, and those on earth are mourning. And it says he will send his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And everybody said amen. 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 I want to show you this timeline at the end. You've been good. Go ahead and put that timeline up for me, good sir. Thank you. Can we have uh, the band come? Oh, just a few more scriptures, sorry. Uh, now learn this lesson. Oh, I was going to forget to answer the question. Do me a favor, refresh this so everybody can see I changed the title right there. How many know he just answered the question about uh, the destruction of the temple? He did. But in that description, he gave us a fulfillment that we still have to wait for, okay? He also answered the question, what is the end of the age going to be like? The end of the age is going to have all of these kind of things happening. Now, what is the last question he has to answer? What is the what? Come on, what's the last question? What is the sign? Somebody say sign. Here it is. Here is the singular sign. Can you, can you refresh and scroll up, please, because I don't see that, uh, the heading there. Unless it's there. Can you scroll up so I can see it? No, it's not there. It's going to be right above the learning of the lesson from the fig tree. Just go ahead and refresh it. As he's doing that, Jesus wanted us to know, even before all of these things happen, what would be something undeniable that you would be able to call the sign that the end is now near and is now upon us? Everybody say, learn a lesson from a fig tree. Come on, one more time. Learn a lesson from a fig tree. Keep going. It's right there. There it is. I wanted you to see that the lesson of the fig tree. Who is the fig tree according to the scriptures? Israel. Remember why I told you it was important to remember when he cursed the fig tree coming into Jerusalem? That was a symbolic gesture of what was going to happen when they were destroyed in 70 AD. He was showing them because they have rejected the prophets and the message that they will now suffer. But does he allow 
the world to just wipe Israel off the earth. No. So 70 AD, what happens to Israel? Their temple is destroyed. They're scattered among the nations. And then they begin to sojourn, not just for 100 years, not just for 1,000 years, for over 1,900 years or 1,850 years to be more exact. After the Holocaust, the greatest atrocity against the Jewish people, what does God do for Israel? Gives them back their land. Now let me ask you something. Before you start saying, oh, I don't know if that's a big sign, what nation can you think of in the entire history of the human race that has lost its land and yet retained its nationship or its culture for over 1,800 years. Where are the Hittites? Where are the Jebusites? Where are the Philistines? These were equal in size to Israel. Where are these nations? And you may say, well, Egypt is still here. Yeah, but Egypt had its land. They never got kicked out of their land. But people like the Romans who lost their battles, there's no Roman Empire anymore. I said, what people group have lost their land and retained their identity? Is anybody walking around going, I'm a Machu Picchu, I'm a Roman, I'm a Viking? Come on, even just within a generation or so, people forgot about their country of origin and just got adopted into wherever they were. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you know that it is near right at your door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So now there's two ways to interpret this. Please stay where we were at, sir. Thank you. There's two ways to interpret this. Number one, Jesus is saying the generation who sees Israel become a nation again, and that was in the 1940s, will not pass away until Jesus comes back because everyone, will, everyone at that time will see it. So what we could do, not picking a date, not picking a time, is simply say from the youngest child that was there at the time of Israel becoming a nation, a Jewish person, to when they die, that is the time frame that we have for Jesus to come back. And that's why I was talking before about the signs, is, uh, excuse me, the things happening more rapidly is because after the sign falls, Christ increased. When? After Israel became a nation. When did wars become devastating and have the potential for nuclear warfare after Israel became a nation? Are you guys listening to me? When did we start to see the spreading of disease and famine and all of this after Israel became a nation? So the sign sets it up, and now we have to the very end of the last child's death as a timeline. That's option A. I believe that option. Or the generation simply means the people, the people, whether it's their grandparents, uh, the grandchildren of the grandparents, but that group of people will see it all. 
So it's not as easy to fit in there. And that's what some people think, is that we're not necessarily in a hurry. It could happen in 100, 200, 300 years from now. But Israel is still the sign in all of these things. I don't, I don't see it in a general sense. So let's say during the 1948 time when they became a nation and all of that, you were a child. What's the longest most people live? A hundred and some years. I'm not putting a date on this, but I'm just saying, just what? 2000 and what? 48, 2050. You're close, my friends. Now, if you don't take Israel becoming a nation as the sign of that cursed fig tree now beginning to blossom, I have no idea what the fig tree is or what the sign is. And I've talked to people who are we disagree, and they don't have an answer either. They just take it all parabolic and say we're not supposed to know and kind of just toss revelation and all of this into the mysteries where we won't figure it out. No, I don't think Jesus is talking so much mystery that we can't have an idea of this. He really wanted us to know the end, didn't he? He went through a lot of time to give us all this red letters. And he just told us in the chapters earlier why he cursed the fig tree. So I'm telling you, I believe within my lifetime, because I believe without dying of an accident, I'll live to 2048. You and I can see Jesus come back. Now let's go to the timeline. But what's probably going to happen beforehand? And let me just say this, at any time you talk to Christians who want to argue about this, don't get into a place where you think they're not a Christian, okay? There are so many different opinions. There are so many different charts. I have actually, at the beginning, you don't have to go there, sir, but at the beginning of my introduction, I have a link to End Times. If you click on it, I have different scholars debating each other. I have a whole bunch of graphs and pictures of everybody's different timelines. There's a lot of disagreement, a lot of different worldviews, but let's just pretend this one is right, okay, because I believe it's right. Half kid. Nobody even laughed. That's okay. I believe it's right. This is my chart right here, okay. This is my, it's so serious because like every pastor that cares about the end times has an end time chart. Just like ask him about like, Pastor, show me your end time chart. And they'll be like, this is my chart. Okay, but this chart is pretty standard. So this is like the left behind chart. This is like Southern Baptists believe this. The Assemblies of God believe this. Most Protestants still believe this chart. We're, We're going with this, okay? So we've had Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. We've had the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the destruction of the temple, 70 AD. We've had all that. The Reformation breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Then we have here Israel becoming a nation in 1948 and Jerusalem being taken by the Israelites, which, by the way, I forgot to mention, it, where do you want to put the 100 years on? Israel or Jerusalem becoming their, a part of their property. So you could go to, what, 2067 if you want to as a, as a time frame. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm just somewhere between in my lifetime I think Jesus is coming back. Okay, so gaining of Israel, that happened. So this point, watch this, from this point, at least from 48 or 67, what should we see? The signs and events of the end times. So those things that we talked about, we should see them increasing, and I believe we have. So what are we waiting for? The last one is the gospel to be preached around the world. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You guys are looking at me like I got a tinfoil hat on my head, and I got different strings of things up here, and I'm like telling you guys, and this is the Illuminati. No, I'm kidding. And so right here, somebody laughed, yeah. So right here, we're preaching the gospel, and what are we expecting? The rapture of the church, which we don't have time to talk about today, but we'll get into that later. We just believe God spares us from all the craziness that happens, okay? So the 
we believe the church leaves, and then that's why there's very little Christianity here. The Antichrist rises, but what happens? The Jewish people get saved by large numbers, 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. Then what happens? They rebuild their temple. So if we are gone from the planet and they say aliens snatched us and then the Jews start building the temple, you better wake up and realize you in the last days, okay? Um, and even if I'm alive and I had the rapture off and I see them building the third temple, I better get ready for the next thing to happen, which is the Antichrist to come and defile that temple and for all the world to turn against Israel, okay? But we believe we'll be gone and there'll be a smaller amount of the Christians here because, you know, you can still come to Jesus during this time. And then what will happen is after they rebuild it, God's wrath is going to start coming because the people are going to start defiling it around this time. We call this the mid-tribulation time. And then God's wrath is going to come. You don't want to be here for that. And then Jesus comes down. We have the Battle of Armageddon. That's when we come down with him. We rule and reign for a thousand years with the leftover population of the earth. There's a final judgment. And then eternity starts with the new heaven and new earth. Amen. If you have any questions, email me at pastoradam at mpichurch.org. If you have any more questions about the end times, no, but it was really cool. So I'm telling you, let's just scroll up and show it to them so everybody can see it. When you go up, you'll see it. Go all the way up to the introduction, please, and then click on the end. Everybody say, this is the end. There it is. Click on it right there. I don't want you to just take it because I've said it. There's a lot of piecing together things that you have to take your time with to study. But I would say this, we've given you a great way to look at it. Can you click on it for me, please? Uh, we've given you a great way to look at it so that you can grow in your faith. So you can grow in your faith. Somebody say, I'm gonna grow in my faith. Amen, let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Adam, would you go back there and help him click on that, please? Thank you, go ahead and help him. I wanna click, we'll, we'll take our time clicking on it so everybody can get it there. The internet's down today? Bus is still, you'll come up if you click on it. It'll work, because that's what happens when I ask things to be done. No, I'm kidding. Oh, it's like you guys catch me on my job sometimes. How many people on your job sometimes just want things to work? Yeah. You know? It's like you guys are just ready for the quiet music, and I want that link to work right now. I want you to see that I went out of my way for you guys because I don't want you just to take my word that this is uh, my way or someone just told me and now I'm telling you. No, I want you to do your research. I want you to be able to be like, man, I looked this up. And if it doesn't work, right click on it and see if it says like open up a link. Yeah, and then go uh, open up link in new tab. And let's see what that does. Okay, there it is. It's opening up. How many are ready to meet Jesus? Amen. How many want to tell the world about Jesus? All right, let's pray. And after we pray, it might be up there. Father, we thank you. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Father, we thank you for today. We pray that our knowledge will increase because you gave us this to study and to learn. But, Lord, more importantly than our knowledge increasing, may our hearts be right. May our hearts be right and our hearts be ready for you to come with every head bowed and eyes closed. If you feel if Jesus was to come today, you would, you would not be ready. Would you ask him to forgive you, to change you right now? Don't wait because the Bible says it will be too late. You can't ask for forgiveness while the rapture is happening or while judgment's happening. Do it now. Lord, we ask you to 
to set us free from our sins. Set us free from our distractions. Help us to become more in love with you so not in love with wickedness. A few moments right now. Come on, be honest with yourself. Let's not get lost in the details. How many of you came here today and you would be honest and you would say, the love of wickedness is strong in my life. It's strong. I I get tempted to love wickedness. Lord, take it out of our hearts. Deception never seems deceiving at the beginning, does it? Do you think those people following false Christ right now think they're deceived? I try to talk to some of them, and they're so convinced, oh, this man is Jesus. Come on. Do you think those who are in the homosexual lifestyle like Ellen and others, do you think like they think they're deceived? No, they're like, this is what makes me happy. I'm happy living this way. The Bible says don't be deceived by wickedness. A few moments right now, guard your heart. Lord, don't let our hearts be deceived by wickedness. Keep our hearts pure. Keep our hearts pure. If anyone wants to come up for prayer, you can start to come now as the band sings. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But if you need prayer to be ready for Christ's return, come on. We believe in you, Lord. Do it, Jesus. Prepare us for your second coming, Jesus.